Discouragement is a feeling of despair in the face of obstacles. And the sad truth is, many people suffer discouragement in silence. They withdraw and become isolated. They appear to be indifferent and distant. They're filled with dismay and despair. Their energy is gone. Their passion has dwindled. And they wonder, what's the point in even trying? We can become discouraged in all kinds of areas of our life. But today I want to talk about being discouraged in our spiritual lives. Now, there are several different things that can cause us to become spiritually discouraged. Right? For instance, unmet or unrealistic expectations. I heard Pastor John MacArthur explain once uh, with discouragement that it was usually caused by unrealistic expectations. And certainly I think that can be the case. There are times when our expectations of what can happen or what should happen are not realistic, but there are also times where we do expect realistic things to happen and they don't. We pray, we believe, uh, we, we do all that we can, and yet things still do not turn out the way that we expect, the way that we hope, and that can be devastating. It brings that sickness to our heart. Spiritual attack is also a thing that can cause us to be spiritually discouraged. But discouragement is one of the most effective weapons that Satan has in his arsenal to keep the people of God from doing the will of God. People that would never commit adultery or embezzle or do any other quote-unquote great sin can get so discouraged that they end up giving up on doing what God wants done. And in Satan's mind, that is still a win. Right? Satan does not have to get us to sin. All he has to do is to get us to stop actively serving Jesus. And if discouragement will accomplish this, then that is a win in his book. Sin. Right? Now, discouragement doesn't always have to be caused by sin, but it can be. And I think this will be especially true for someone who desires to live a pure life. There is something discouraging about constantly failing in the same area over and over again. It can cause us to, to think that there is just no way we'll ever get out from underneath the grip of sin. It will cause us to doubt God's ability to deliver and to set us free, and it will just bring us to the place where we give up because what's the point? Physical and mental exhaustion. Uh, I say physical and mental exhaustion for two reasons. One is that the extended periods of exhaustion, they just depress us. The other is that when we're really physically exhausted or mentally exhausted, our time in the word and prayer will be diminished. Not only will our time in the word be diminished, but our time of praying and our time in the word, it will be really not much use to us. We will study and not think about what we won't be able to remember what we've studied. We'll pray and it just will seem that it's very, very ineffective and it's not doing anything for us. And that can add and pile on the discouragement onto our lives. Feeling ineffective. But there's very little in our lives that will discourage us faster than thinking that what we do doesn't matter. Now, this will be true in any area of our life, but I think it's especially true in our service and our devotion to Jesus. There is something devastating about serving Jesus with the best of your abilities and not seeing any noticeable fruit from it. Now, there's probably more things that can come into our life that can cause us to be spiritually discouraged. But that gives you an idea of some of the some of the things. Also, there are certain characteristics of discouragement that make it a really potent enemy for believers. One is that it's universal. But I'm, I'm really pretty convinced that no one is immune to discouragement. I feel safe in saying that every one of us has been discouraged at some point or another in our lives. I doubt there is any of us that have gotten through life 
without being discouraged at one point or another. Young or old, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, believer or non-believer, discouragement finds us all. Also, discouragement is reoccurring. Just because we've been discouraged once, that doesn't mean we're not going to get discouraged again. In fact, you can even be discouraged by the fact that you're discouraged a lot. That there's no antibiotic that will give us immunity from discouragement. And the final characteristic is that discouragement is highly contagious. Discouragement can spread even by casual contact. People can become discouraged because you're discouraged. You can become discouraged because people you came into contact were also discouraged. And when we're discouraged, all we want to do is quit. We want to escape whatever we're doing. And we may try to escape by watching TV, reading a book. We may want to move away or any number of other things. But we want to escape from what it is that is discouraging us. But escape is not an effective means of dealing with discouragement because we can't always escape. Sometimes, no matter how much we want to escape, we have to stay and do real life. We have to stay and be a part of whatever it is that's going on. So it can become this vicious sort of a cycle where I'm discouraged and I want to escape. And the fact that I want to escape brings discouragement because, gosh, I can't believe this is all I really want to do in life. And it just over and over and deeper and deeper, we fall into our funk. In times of discouragement, we need help and we need hope. And the hope that we need is often something we have to fight for. And today's message is going to give us some ways that we can fight for hope. Open your Bible to Psalm 42. It's page 432 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizzer. Deep calls unto deep with the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of my countenance and my God. Title of the message this morning is fighting for hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, you know, Lord, you know what an effective weapon discouragement is to the lives of your people. Father, you know what it does and how it destroys and hurts and harms. And God, we know that that is not your will. 
Father, Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Uh, in his presence, there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So discouragement, depression, these things are not from you. These are not your will. Father, we need hope. We need a hope that will drive us through and pull us out of these times of despair and discouragement. God, we need you to give us this hope. Lord, only true hope in the world comes from you. You are the God of hope that fills us with all joy and peace and believing so that we can abound with hope. So God, work in us today and come and begin to bring us this hope that we so desperately need. Father, if there are any here today that are discouraged, encourage them, fill them with your hope and let it abound in their lives. Father, if there are any here who do not know Jesus as their savior, bring them today to the place where they confess him and they call out to him to save them. If there's any today that have fallen back in their relationship with Christ, deal in their hearts and bring them to the place where they would renew their commitment to Jesus and leave here determined to do his will no matter what. God, today, you know, our hearts. You know our lives, you know what's going on, and you know what needs to be done. Do what only you can do in each heart, in each life of each person that's here today, God. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory, for you alone deserve it. We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we're not entirely sure what's going on in the life of the psalmist other than what's written in the psalm. And from that, all that we know for sure is that the psalmist is discouraged and he's struggling to keep going. Right? We also see in this that the psalmist knows that his, his help and his hope, it must come from God. I mean, notice how often the psalmist focuses on God. He, he desires God in verses 1 and 2. He pours out his soul to God in verse 4. He will hope in God in verse 5 and in verse 11. Over and over again, the psalmist is saying that God is his help and God is his hope. That by seeking God, he will find the hope that he needs to bring him out of his time of discouragement. And from this we learn that I fight for hope for, by drawing near to God. I fight for hope by drawing near to God. This passage it shows us three ways to fight for hope by drawing near to God. The first one is that we desire God and not just His help. To desire God and not just His help. Now the psalmist clearly needs God's help with whatever's going on in his life. But despite whatever is going on in his life, the psalm starts... With him not expressing his desire for God to do something, but his desire for God himself. Now, these two verses are, are pretty familiar. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Most of the time when we see these verses, they're... They're taken away from the context. They're, they're in a song that is really good. They're on a coffee mug or on a bumper sticker, maybe in an Instagram post. And we see them as just a person who longs for God's presence in their lives. And while that's true, seeing the verses in their context, it makes them so much more powerful because of what's going on in the psalmist's life. He is cast down in his soul. There is turmoil going on within him. People are mocking him for his faith in God. He has cried so much that he has felt like all he's had to eat are tears in recent days. 
He wonders if God has forgotten him as his enemies oppress him. Whatever is going on is causing him so much pain that it feels as though his bones are being shattered. Yet in the midst of all of this pain, all of this turmoil, all of this discouragement, he begins not by seeking God's help, but by seeking God himself. The psalmist paints a powerful picture of his desire for God. He describes his desire for God in the way that a deer desires water. The picture there is that of a deer in the living in the desert, perhaps during the time of a great drought. The deer goes days and days without any water and in the blazing sun feels as though it's about to die of thirst. And the one thing that it wants most of all is a drink of water from a water brook. In a similar way, the psalmist thirsts for God. He longs for God more than he longs for anything else. He wants to experience God's presence. He wants to know that God is near. He wants to be aware of the fact that his God is there in this time of need. And that is a challenging picture of a great desire for God. Were we to be honest, could we say that we have this kind of a desire for God in our lives? We say that the thing we want most of all is just the very presence of God in our lives. Does, does our soul thirst for God? Does our soul pant for God? Now, chances are, if we've ever spent any time in difficulties or being discouraged, we have asked God for help. We have cried out to God to bring us up out of the depths of despair to bring light into our darkness, to bring help into our helplessness. But in those times, what do we desire more? God or His help? I mean, it's important for us to remember that God is not a divine genie that lives to grant our wishes. He is the creator of the universe. He is the redeemer of mankind. And He desires a genuine relationship with us. And a genuine relationship is more than help me. Now, to be sure, help me is a part of the relationship. But it's not the sum total of it. And I do want to be careful here because I don't want to give the impression that there's anything wrong with seeking God and His help in our times of discouragement or despair. Because it's not. That is where we should rightly go. However, what I want to communicate clearly is that we should have a desire for more than God's help. We should have a desire for God Himself. You know, the sad fact is there are many people who claim to be Christians, who claim to love the Lord, but there is no desire for God and there is no desire for fellowship with God until something bad happens in their life. I mean, and let's just be ruthlessly honest and say, if that is me, if the only time I desire God's presence or God's help is when something bad is going on in my life, that says something real and bad about my relationship with God. When our relationship with God starts and ends with the difficult times that come into our lives, something is wrong. But for many people, their relationship with God rises and falls on the circumstances of their life. 
When their circumstances are bad, they seek God, they pray to God, they worship God, and they love God. But when the circumstances of their life are back to normal, they once again become unconcerned about seeking God, unconcerned about praying God, unconcerned about worshiping God. And their love of God becomes once again nothing more than words that they say when people ask a question. You know, I would almost say that this is a form of idolatry because it seems to love the gift, help and hope from God more than the giver, God himself. We have to be careful to reject this attitude in our lives. Troubles, trials, fears and discouragements, they will naturally drive us to God. And this is good and this is right. However, let's be sure that we desire God himself and not just his help. Scripture teaches us that God is a God of hope. Hope is a part of the very character of who God is, and it is a part of what God gives to all who come to Him. But it is important for us to remember, we do not pursue hope and help and get God as an extra. We pursue God, and we get help and hope as an extra. I fight for hope by drawing near to God. And drawing near to God begins with a desire for God Himself. Secondly, desire God and not just as help. Pour out my soul to God. For one reason or another, when I was younger, I had the idea that at no point were you to ever complain to God about the hard times that are going on in your life. You're to patiently endure them and basically just suck it up. You don't ever bring your complaints to God when you pray. You don't ask questions about why. You don't do any of that. To ask those sort of questions, to complain about the hardships in your life, bordered on blasphemy. Now, for years, I believed this. That's what I think I had been taught. And so no matter how bad I felt, no matter what was going on in my life, I never complained to God about what was going on. And then several years before we moved to Gaiman, I went on a retreat and I met a pastor who challenged my ideas about this. Not long before I went on the retreat, Kelly and I found out that she was pregnant again. This was her third time to be pregnant, and yet because of miscarriages, we had no children. And there was a point in the retreat when we were sharing prayer requests, and I asked them to pray for Kelly. Later, I was talking to this pastor. His name was David, and I was telling him about why I was worried about Kelly, and I think I was probably also trying to sound super spiritual. I told him about the two previous miscarriages and that Kelly had wondered why God had allowed this to come into our lives and had caused this to happen. And I told him that I had told Kelly that it was okay to wonder about them, but we should never question God about these sort of things. And David's reply, it seemed almost sacrilegious at the time, but his words stuck with me. Here's what he said. No, it's okay to question God about these things. He's a big boy. He can handle it. I thought he was crazy. I kind of waited on the lightning bolt to strike him down and to make all of that go away. It took me a long time to come to grips with what he said. And over the years, I've come to realize that he was exactly right. Notice what the psalmist says that he does in verse 4. When I remember these things, I, I pour out my soul within me. I love that. What a beautiful phrase. Pour out my soul. What a beautiful description of prayer. What a picture of the kind of prayer that flows out of a relationship with God. A relationship that desires God as a deer desires water. 
However, let's not miss what it means for the psalmist to pour out his soul. Look at what he says in verse 9. I will say to my God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go to mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? It's with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I mean, that's, that's pretty bold, right? And notice verse 9, I will say to God, I will say. These aren't just thoughts that he's thinking, but not expressing. He is going to pour out his soul to God and ask God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I mourn while my enemies rejoice? Why do they get to continually say, where is your God? Why, God, all of this happened? It's just absolute brutal honesty there. Many people believe that Psalm 43 is an extension of Psalm 42. And if that's the case, look at what he writes in verse 2 of Psalm 43. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? I mean, that is just raw honesty before Almighty God. He does not understand what's going on. He does not understand why the hardships are coming. He does not understand why God is not helping. You can say, well, that's just one psalmist. I mean, one guy does it, but that doesn't mean it's something that we're all supposed to do. But it's not just this psalmist. Take some time and just read through the book of Psalms. And you find this kind of honesty over and over again. And one of the reasons that this honesty is so good in the book of Psalms is because the book of Psalms was largely, many of them were written as their prayer journals. But they were just writing down their thoughts, their concerns. They were writing down what they were praying and what was going on in their life with God. And in them, they are brutally honest about their struggles, about their doubts, about their fears and about their questions. They pour out their souls to God in this way repeatedly. But it's not just the psalm writers who do this. The prophet Jeremiah pours out his soul to God in this fashion. My daily Bible reading last week was in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah basically says to God at one point, you persuaded me to go do this and I had to do it because you're stronger than me. He's complaining about how hard the ministry that God has given him is. The prophet Isaiah at one point tells God, this has all been a waste of my life in going and serving you. We see it from Abraham and Job and so Many others throughout Scripture. And not only do these people pour out their souls to God in this fashion, but they are all what we would call heroes of the faith. And they were heroes of the faith who had deep, legitimate relationships with God. And there is not one instance of a believer calling out, Oh God, why? And God smiting them dead for the question. Not once did God say, that's it, I'm done with you. In fact, there's really not even any indication that God was angry at these people 
for pouring out their souls to Him in this fashion. Do you know why God didn't smite them? And why God wasn't angry with them? It's because God wants us to pour out our souls to Him in this fashion. God wants us to pour out our souls to Him because that's what a a genuine relationship looks like. Let me just think about that for a second. The great and the awesome God of the Bible, the creator and sustainer of all things, He invites us to cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. I mean, just let that sink in. Not cast our cares upon Him because we figured out what prayer can do. Not cast all of our cares upon Him because He can't stop it. But cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares about our cares. Casting our cares upon the Lord includes pouring out our souls to God in this fashion. And God Himself invites us to do it because He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us. Now, you may have the same mindset I had growing up that we should not pour out our souls to God in this fashion. We don't ask questions. We don't express that we don't understand. We, we certainly we don't complain. We certainly would never say, why have you forgotten me, O God? But it's important to understand that rather than that mindset exalting God, it hinders our relationship with Him. Because here's what happens. I, I have these feelings within me. I don't understand. I, I feel that God has forgotten me. I, I'm bothered by the fact that my enemies reproach me because of my faith in God. And I have them. They're legitimately there. I'm not trying to be cool. I just, this is how I really feel. But I'm not allowed to express them to God. I'm not allowed at any point to pour out my soul to God and say these things to Him. What's going to happen is they are going to become a barrier between me and my God. They are not going to just go away. They are going to grow and I'm going to get angrier and angrier and more and more resentful to God until I do not desire Him. I do not want to pray to Him. I don't even want His help in my life. It will eventually destroy my relationship with God. I mean, it does that in a, in a human relationship, doesn't it? How many, how many marriages do we know That we're destroyed because of bitterness, unforgiveness, the unwillingness to talk about the issues. How many friendships have been ruined by that very same thing? If I have a relationship with God, it will do the exact same thing with me. It will build and it will build and it will build until I've had all that I want of God. But also keep in mind, God knows everything. About everything. And part of what it means that God knows everything about everything is He knows the thoughts that we think and the words that we don't speak. God knows the feelings that we have, the questions that we have. He knows the, 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 the anger we may even feel. And no matter how hard we try, we don't hide those from God. 
When we pour our soul out to God, He doesn't sit in heaven and go, Whoa, I never knew you felt that way. Pouring out our soul to God never catches Him off guard. Since He already knows, and since it does become a barrier, we may as well just take the time and pour out our hearts to God as the psalmist did, as the prophets did, as believers all throughout history have done. Pouring out our soul to God is an important part of drawing near to God. There is just a time for us to just lay it all out. And, and this isn't a pretty picture, but in my mind, I always think of it as just like one bleh, vomiting it all out. Right? Because in those times, it doesn't come out pretty and it doesn't come out nice and it doesn't come out flowery. It just flows out. But there is most definitely a time to pour out our souls to God in that fashion and in times of discouragement, in times where we do not understand what's going on, it's necessary. The closer I get to God, the more His hope floods my life. I fight for hope by drawing near to God and I cannot draw near to God by keeping things in my life that become a barrier between me and God. I must pour out my soul to God. So desire God and not just as help. Pour out my soul to God. And then thirdly, reflect on what God has done. One of the results of discouragement and hopelessness is that we become short-sighted. We focus almost entirely on what's going on right before us. And it's pretty normal. But it does have negative consequences in our life. Because as we focus on the bad that's going on right now, we tend to forget or ignore the many ways God has already worked in our lives in the past. And it's important that we remember what God has done in the past. Because if I can remember what God has done in the past, then it can give me a hope for the present and a hope for the future. Right? We see this in our psalm. In verse 4, the psalmist remembers these things. He, he remembers when he used to go in with the multitude. When he went with them to the house of God with a voice of, of joy. He remembers times of worshiping God in joy and, and praising and, and the multitude that went. In fact, I, I think almost the picture is that he, he missed those days. He, he longs for those days to come back. But as he thinks about how good God has been to him in the past, notice what happens to him in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Now, I've circled this in my Bible. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. But His situation hasn't changed. Whatever is going on, it's still going on. But his attitude has changed. He now knows, I will praise God at some point. God will help me at some point. God will get involved and I will get to praise Him for what He's going to do in my life. But I love the honesty again of the psalmist. 
Because reflecting once doesn't fix it, does it? Verse 6, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Right? And man, if you've never been discouraged in this way, I have. I get this. I get thinking, I remember this. Yes, God's going to do it again. And then getting up and going, man, it's miserable right now, God. Why am I doing this right now? Why do I feel this way again? So he, he's down. He remembers. He, he gets some hope because God will work. But, but then again, his soul is still downcast within him. So what's he going to do? Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. From the, from the hill, miser, deep calls to deep the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. But notice the hope of verse 8. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, His song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Help of my countenance and my God. By reminding himself of what God has done in the past, it gives him hope for the future. And no, the wording to me is so important. The Lord will command loving kindness. He hadn't done it yet, but he will. He, he, he's not hoping and praising yet, but he will. God will come to help. God will come to his aid. God will encourage him as he is discouraged. And he reminds himself of that by thinking back to the things that God has already done. And that is a powerful lesson for us. If we are going to fight for hope, it is critical that we reflect often on the things God has already done in our lives. And as we set out to reflect on the things God has already done in our lives, in those times we need to take James 1.17 very seriously. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. There are two very important truths to meditate on from this verse. The first is every good thing that we have in our lives comes from God. Every means every. There is not a good thing you or I have ever had in our lives that is not a gift from Almighty God. And in times when you have to fight for hope, you go back and you make a list. Every good thing God has given you and has done for you in your life. And... The deeper your discouragement, the more you have to fight, the bigger the list you make. Right? This isn't a time to just say, God has been so good and leave it at that. Now, this is when you go back and you begin to list. I was raised by parents who did this. I had this. God provided here. He answered this prayer. I, he, my spouse, my children, my church, my Bible. You just begin to list every good thing in your life. And acknowledge that that is something that God has given you. And the second truth is that it came down from a God whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He does not change. The God who gave you good things in the past is the God who will give you good things in the present and the future. 
The God who answered your prayers in the past is the God who will answer your prayers in the present and the future. Reflecting on what God has done, it gives us hope by reminding us that God has done and He will do. If He's done it in the past, He'll do it in the present and He'll do it in the future. This is a way we fight for hope. This is a way. And, and I, notice the psalmist, he lists specific things. Again, I, I'm not saying, write down, God has been good to me. You do that when you're already filled with hope and encouraged. But you make a list. You write what I do. Me personally, I write my list. And then I begin to pray specifically, thanking God for those things. Again, I don't just say, thank you, God, for being good to me in my life. Thank you for this, and thank you for that. Thank you for this. Man, I, I find ways to make memorials in my life that point me back to the goodness, the graciousness of God to me in my life. And the deeper the discouragement I feel, the darker the time I'm in, the more time I spend looking at those, reminding myself of those, reflecting on those, and praising God for those. And without fail, Reflecting on the past gives me hope for the future. That's a part of fighting for hope. We fight for hope by drawing near to God. And one of the ways we draw near to God when we're discouraged and when we're despairing, it is by reflecting on what God has done for us in the past, what God has done in us in the past, and what God has done through us in the past, and saying, what my God has done then, he will do again. Let's stand as our musicians come this morning.